0: You're listening to the Lawn Care Business Success Podcast, brought to you by Xmark Manufacturing. 30 years of pioneering spirit and innovation have resulted in legendary durability, all day comfort, and unmatched cut quality. Go check them out at Xmark.com and Crest Commercial. Introducing the 8-Minute Cyber System, the industry's first truly game-changing innovation in commercial battery-powered OPE. Professional landscapers can now replace their gas powered equipment without sacrificing performance, power, or runtime. For more information or to find a Cress dealer near you, visit cress.com. You're listening to the Lawn Care Business Success Podcast. The Weekly Show, sharing proven methods and systems in marketing, equipment, and customer service. Educational and motivational to help make your lawn care business an overwhelming success. Now, here's your host, Julio Tomei.
1: Welcome, Lawn Care Nation, to another episode of the Lawn Care Business Success Podcast. I'm your host, Julio Tomei, and this is episode number 434, entitled, Tis the Season to be Thankful. Well, hello, everybody, and thanks again for joining me this week on another episode of the Lawn Care Business Success Podcast. Really appreciate you guys tuning in each and every weekend. Of course, for the questions, comments, and feedback that you guys have been sending through, really do appreciate that. Uh, this uh, week has been... Back to some mild uh, temperatures where I'm at here in the Pacific Northwest, back to the rain, as you guys uh, may have uh, uh, obviously listened uh, on last uh, episode about the frost marking uh, the end of the season. We had a pretty long stretch, it was about five or six days in a row of frost, which uh as I predicted, uh, would be sort of, uh, you know, that end of uh, the mowing season. Uh, And so this week, I focused in on uh, finishing off all of the mows and stuff. Uh, Last week's episode uh, came out on Halloween. I uh, typically would then finish off uh, that week, do all of uh, sort of last mows for everybody, And now this week, I'm focused on uh, getting all of my aerations done uh, for uh, the end of the season. It's usually how I wrap up uh, most of those lawns, Uh, although it'll be a little bit of a twist, but uh, normally uh, I will wrap up uh, the aerations because I like doing them at the very end uh, because aerations uh, obviously are one of the biggest... uh, uh, benefits of aeration is to reduce compaction. Uh, so I always find it here, especially in the Pacific Northwest, uh, because of all the rain and stuff and lawns are uh, pretty damp and all that sort of stuff at this point, uh, that, uh, you know, you go along doing do an aeration early and then, um, you know, you're still got like a month of mowing or something to do. And then you're just compacting, uh, the lawn again, you know, it may be different where you're at, uh, but here because of the rain and stuff, that's sort of why I tend to push it to the very end, uh, because I just find, Hey, I can core it there at the end. And then, you know, it's not getting trampled on week after week, after week, after week. So that's what I'm focusing on. Uh, this week, I got out there and, uh, a little bit <laughs> interesting because, uh, I had, uh, pulled out the aerator on the weekend at a storage old Betsy as I like to uh, refer to her my old uh, Bluebird 424 aerator that I've had since uh, my very first season pretty much. Uh, I believe I bought it in the first winter um, of my first year. bought it used at a uh, tool rental place for a thousand dollars and uh, it has served me very, very well and served others too, as well, on top of being a rental unit for other, you know, a, a tool rental business. Um, I also, uh, you know, my brother-in-law used it for many years in his lawn care business, uh, as well as uh, a couple of other guys have borrowed it, uh, other local guys, when I was in that uh, franchise system, I would uh, lend it out and let guys use it as well, uh, and uh, just in... Uh, you know, 18 years of using uh, that particular machine for a thousand bucks, I would say, was a pretty darn good investment. Uh, Buying that used aerator has been absolutely fantastic. So old Betsy is still going strong. uh, But what was interesting uh, with uh, that unit is that, uh, and another side note on that just kind of popped in my head. Not only has it been 18 years uh, roughly using that machine. Um, But I have never done anything special to it other than change the oil Uh, in that uh, particular Honda engine that's on that uh, unit. Um, It's been just phenomenal. Uh, Same with my power rake. I've done nothing other than uh, really change uh, the oil. Although the power rake, I did change all the tines uh, on the bottom, the little rake uh, bits. Um, But uh, other than that, uh, I rarely ever use, uh, if ever, fuel stabilizer uh, in fuel, um, and I've always run just regular 87 octane. Even though um, most, uh, you know, manufacturers are going to recommend a higher um, uh, rated gas, but I always just run the regular in it, and have never had any issues. It just always runs. It always. Uh, goes the only time i've ever had issue like fuel related issues um is with machines where uh they sit for years uh so if you know i don't use something for like four or five years uh, and then go to start it then yeah it's going to be uh you know gummed up or something like that um but with like the aerator the power rake using it you know power rake i use you know once per season. Um, you know, during the springtime, when I get through power rakes and things like that, if I do any of that sort of stuff, um, the aerator is being used, uh, two times per season in the spring and in the fall for all of my clients. So I just let it go like that. I like whatever fuels in it is in it. I put it in storage for whatever, how many months it is in between uses and pull it out and it always starts. But what was funny uh, this time around was, uh, you know, I was getting it ready went to start it and you know started on a couple poles had to use the choke and stuff of course and then i opened the fuel tank uh, just to see how much fuel was in there and there was about uh i would say maybe a quarter tank uh, of fuel in there so I, I went to go uh you know grab my uh my uh, jerry cans and then i remembered i don't have any fuel in jerry cans i haven't used fuel i haven't bought gas uh for like the jerry cans, uh, in at least four months, uh, since I started using all the battery stuff. Of course, now I have the turf tracer and I have the, uh, navigator, but I usually just fill those up while they're on the trailer, um, at a gas station. I just fill them directly. Uh, usually when I'm filling my truck up, I'll have, uh, especially at this particular gas station that I always go to when I pull up, they've got like two, like the, in their islands they've got two pumps so it's not a very big gas station it's a pretty small gas station uh, but what's funny is when i line up my truck to get diesel on the one set of pumps the other set of pumps is kind of in line with the trailer behind uh, so i will fill the diesel and then when i'm done that then i go to the back and then i do like the pay at the pump at the second pump there and i uh drop my ramp and then i actually uh, take the uh, the uh, gas pump and I just kind of uh, lift it up over the side of the trailer and then uh, fuel uh, the machine in the back directly while it's on the trailer. Don't have to unload it or anything like that. Just fill it while it's directly uh, on the trailer. So it was kind of funny to go and, uh, you know, go uh, grab some uh, fuel and then realize that I have no fuel, that the you know, jerry cans are all bone dry and have been for, you know, three, four months uh, now. So that was interesting to uh, go to uh, the gas station. I had to make a uh, kind of an unexpected trip. Wasn't planning on going to the gas station, but I had to uh, do that and uh, fill the jerry can uh, for, uh, for fill the, the shirt sure can uh, that I was using uh, to be able to have some fuel uh, for the, uh, the Bluebird uh, aerator. So that was interesting. And, uh, with that particular machine, um, now I'm obviously, you guys know me in terms of battery stuff. I love battery stuff. Um, and you know, using the aerator is, you know, as good as it is, as awesome as that Honda engine is and all that stuff. Could they not have designed the position of that motor or put some sort of, uh, like exhaust diverter or something on that uh, on that particular unit you know you're you're on it and the engine is positioned in the way where the exhaust is directed at the operator So it's absolutely horrible in that sense. (laughs) And it was not more evident than it was today when I got out there and started using it immediately, uh, within the first house, I was getting nauseous, uh, with the fumes, just like feeling like wanting to throw up just cause it's right there. Like it, you just absolutely smell. And then, uh, it's also my wife's favorite time of year as well, because, uh, she does the laundry in the house and, uh, i my clothes my work clothes absolutely reeks of exhaust uh so it's just one of those things that uh with that particular machine just because of the way uh the motor is uh facing uh, on the power rake the motor's on the opposite side and it faces the other direction so the exhaust is facing forward um, but uh, on this particular machine, uh, the exhaust is facing backwards and uh, yeah, it's just uh, uh, an unfortunate design. You'd think they you know, would have been able to put like a 90 degree elbow or something on the exhaust uh, to get that uh, exhaust at least going out the side uh, instead of directly uh, at uh, the operator. But it is what it is. It's been a great machine. Uh, you know minus that uh, is probably my biggest pet peeve uh, with that particular machine uh, but um, you know it 's not something because i 'm only using it uh in the spring and in the fall i 've just kind of dealt with it every year uh and uh you know just get the aerations done and over with and, and that 's it If it was something like a mower where I was using it every day, then I would have probably done something about it a long time ago uh, or replaced it or something like that 'cause uh that would be uh you know, pretty annoying to have to deal with on a daily basis. Uh, but other than that, uh, aerations are going well. Uh, aerations are always a fun time um, to get done, uh, especially, um, you know, here in the Pacific Northwest, like I said, because of the rain and stuff like that, lawns just course so nicely, you know, they're they're pretty soft. You have to be careful in certain uh, aspects, of course, because uh, we can get heavy deluges of rain and uh then you know lawns can become too soft uh and it's not so much of an issue for the actual aeration part uh but it's when you're going to turn the machine uh, and pivot and stuff that you can um you know uh leave some big divots and stuff if you're not careful in certain areas uh that might have poor drainage and things like that uh in other parts of the lawn it's completely fine but um, There's just some, uh, it's hard to explain uh, if you guys don't live in this area to know, um, just with the relentless amount of rain at times and, uh, a lot of clay, uh, in the soil and stuff with lawns that don't drain, uh, very well, uh, just, you know, how, um, you know, uh, dangerous (laughs) it can be when you're doing that, uh, to make sure you don't, uh, uh, divot the lawn. Uh, and speaking of dangerous, uh, I was kind of laughing to myself because I remember today, uh, while I was aerating as well, I took a pretty big tumble. So I I don't know if the uh, client has uh, security cameras in their backyard, but if they were due and review the footage, then uh, they're going to get a pretty big chuckle. Um, Again, I was in an area kind of going around uh, their back uh, lawn by their shed, and they had this like fenced off corner, um, basically, uh, an area where they kind of have like a back corner of their property fenced off with a, like an arbor or an opening that you can walk through to get back there. And they used to have, um, big like compost dumping bins there, uh, where, you know, the homeowner would drop clippings and stuff and, and all that sort of stuff in the back. Uh, this mm-hmm. is a property that. I aerate regularly for, you know, probably over a decade now, uh, and I do holiday cuts and stuff, but they mow their own lawn most of the year. Uh, and it's right next door to one of my regular clients. So I'm okay with, uh, doing that stuff because it's right next door when I'm, you know, aerating my clients, I just go automatically and aerate their lawn and all that sort of stuff. At any rate, um, I, uh, this, this spot that is fenced off to get to like the back corner, uh, inside that area, it's all like gravel, uh, and outside obviously is the lawn part. Uh, but there's like a, uh, a threshold on the bottom, um, where like this arbor is that you walk through and it's just a, like a landscape tie in the ground to divide the grass from the, uh, gravel area. And, you know, I got to... I was aerating in that direction, got the aerator right up to like the arbor door. And then I had to turn the aerator around. So obviously the front of the aerator with the tines on the back, as I'm going to the door, uh, you know, it doesn't aerate all the way in. So I just stopped short, turned the machine around, and then I went to pull the machine back. And I was walking backwards through Uh, the arbor going into sort of the gravel area so that I could get the tines right up to uh, where uh, the landscape ties at the bottom so I could aerate that little section because I'm when I'm aerating I'm pretty thorough I like I don't like missing little spots or areas and stuff so I was pulling it back and uh, it was rainy and wet and stuff like that and my foot not thinking because I'm going backwards my foot stepped on the landscape tie and it was very slick uh had like algae and stuff on it from you know just years of being in the rain in the pacific northwest and stuff and you know i'm trying to pull the aerator back so i'm doing like a big push off off this um this landscape tie on the ground and it was like like my foot just like there was like nothing there uh just you know, almost went head over heels sort of thing and uh l- next thing i know like i'm completely laid out on my back uh on this like gravel uh area uh looking up at the aerator <laughs> handles uh, above me and i was like my goodness like <laughs> hopefully uh luckily it didn't hurt myself or break any bones or anything like that but i was like oh man hopefully they don't have no <laughs> cameras filming back here because that's kind of embarrassing uh but at any rate it's uh always a fun time uh doing those aerations here uh in the wet uh pacific northwest uh but uh, yeah that was uh, my day and will be my week uh going forward uh for the rest of this week uh also uh this week uh, a large development uh, happened and that was uh Schaefer Beetle has uh moved, uh, moved east uh, across the city. Um, For many years, uh, the city of Vancouver and surrounding cities uh, have been dealing uh, with uh, European schaefer beetle uh, problems, where um, the beetles go around, they lay their eggs in the summertime uh, in lawns. And then the resulting grubs will feed off of the turf roots, uh, which Uh, kills off uh, you know uh, portions of lawns and then all of the uh, crows the skunks and the uh, uh, raccoons see the sort of uh, you know yellowy patches in lawns and uh, know something's under there and then they come at night and they tear uh, lawns completely apart they rip it apart and it's so easy because there's no roots left Uh, you know the the pieces of uh, grass there just come right up so Uh, For about 10 years, there's this uh, uh, river uh, that kind of divides the area, Uh, this uh, very large river called the Fraser River. Uh, Many people might uh, know it for being very popular uh, for salmon fishing and all that sort of stuff. At any rate, um, the suburb I live on is on the opposite, on the other side of uh, the Fraser River from where like the main, you know, Vancouver and city and all that sort of stuff is. So that river was actually acting as a natural barrier to the Schaefer Beetle uh, from crossing the river because it's such a big river um, that uh, they wouldn't cross over uh, until about three years ago. So we had about a 10 year reprieve uh, from Schaefer Beetle and seeing all the other cities having to deal with it, but it wasn't coming across. About three years ago, it it finally worked its way across, obviously on a, a vehicle or something like that. And then slowly started to spread and uh, worked its way up to my area, uh, which is you know farther east. Uh, and uh, now it's uh, fully uh, encompassing uh, even my neighborhood and stuff like that. And my own front lawn uh, got uh, some Schaefer beetle damage. When uh, I went to uh, the Equip Expo, uh, my uh, wife sent me a video one night uh, when I was... Uh, in my hotel room uh showing kind of the front lawn that uh there was like this big like patch gone the grass was gone like a hole dug there and stuff and she was uh asking my wife uh, my uh, sorry daughter if her dog uh had dug up the front lawn or something like that and uh my daughter said no that it wasn't um her boyfriend's dog uh so Um, I, and I knew immediately looking at it, (laughs) that what it was, it was Schaefer beetle, uh, and it must've been, um, you know, some wildlife. So I said that in sort of our like group family chat. And then my son immediately, he went on like the home security cameras and kind of looked up and he pulled footage of a raccoon tearing up the front lawn, uh, looking for a Schaefer beetle. Uh, so sure enough, yeah, there's a, a Schaefer beetle there a little bit. And uh, so uh, this past weekend, uh, it seemed to get worse with the raccoons and stuff. So I went out there and uh, looked at the the patch. It's, a, it's not a huge patch, probably maybe uh two foot by two foot little area um, where the rest of the lawn is green. That, that little patch there is uh, yellow. So uh, the raccoon uh, keeps coming back, checking on it. So what I did was I pulled back all of the dead sort of grass and stuff, and I started to, like, literally with my hands, just pull out these grubs. I was looking to see if there was any. Sure enough, I found some. Started pulling them out, digging around with my hands, pulling more out. You could see the little tunnels where they were coming up from where they're uh, uh, deeply burrowed, and then they start working their way up to the surface. As they get older and stuff. Uh, So they're, you know, coming up to the surface now. And uh, so I started pulling. Next thing you know, there was probably about, I probably had like 50 of them in a little pan. um, Like a clay pot um, pan from like a regular pot. Uh, And uh, was just like collecting them by hand um, uh, to get rid of them. Because uh, one thing I noticed on a lot of footage was that the raccoons, um, every time they would come, they'd be smelling around first before they would start digging. So I was like, well, they must, you know, the yellow patch is obviously a visual indicator that something might be there. Um, but I noticed that there's other yellow patches on on lawns and stuff that, um, and even on my own lawn, there's some yellow patches in other spots that, the raccoons aren't touching, uh, and they're just from the drought, uh, because we weren't allowed to water at all this year, uh, during the summer and stuff like that. So, um, they're able to discern. Whether there's grubs there or not, by their smell, it looks like. So I thought, let me do this uh, little sort of experiment, see what happens. So, like I said, I picked all the grubs out by hand, kind of went through all the turf, pulled back more of the turf. I probably did more damage to the lawn than what the raccoon had done in terms of pulling back more of the grass and finding more grubs and all that sort of stuff. So I uh pulled all the grubs that I could find there literally had like a pile like 50 of them. Um, then I put everything back. I threw some grass seed and stuff down because our temperatures have uh, the frost, uh, like I said, we had frost for like five days or whatever. Um, but then the temperatures all went back up and we started getting, you know, the rain and all that sort of stuff again. So I was like, okay, whatever, I've got grass seed, I'll throw grass seed in there, uh, mix it all in and uh, overseed on top and all that stuff. And, you know, if it takes, it takes, if it doesn't, you know, the frost, whatever, it's not a big deal. Uh, But I'll at least throw, uh, you know, some grass seed in there, see what happens. Uh, And then I noticed that very night, uh, got an alert on the security camera that, you know, something out there. So I look on the camera and sure enough, there's a raccoon. And it was interesting because you see him walking, he gets to this, he immediately walks to that spot. So I know it's the same raccoon and he's smelling around and he kind of took like one little swipe with his hand and then he left. So I was like, oh, maybe it worked. Like maybe physically removing the grubs, um, was enough to stop, the raccoon from tearing up and looking for some uh so i'm convinced <laughs> even though uh yeah, it's a very short uh, sample period in my uh, experiment of one night so far uh but i'm pretty convinced seeing that this raccoon was you know he walked directly to that spot knew exactly where it was and was smelling around and just kind of like quickly you know just one swipe with his hand, like wasn't digging around, just kind of like tossed one piece of loose grass that was there, and then he just walked off. Uh, didn't damage any of the you know work that I had done in terms of kind of uh, leveling it all out and grass seed and all that sort of stuff, uh, and just left. So, uh, I'm convinced that maybe, um, you know, if you can you know remove them and stuff like that, even though they've gotten maybe a dinner there before, um, uh, a free meal that they, you know. They will not disturb it if um, you know, they can't smell uh, that there are grubs there or sense that there are grubs, uh, whether they can feel that there's grubs moving there or whatever the case may be. Uh, that they just leave it alone it's not worth uh, i guess the the trouble so that was an interesting experiment i will keep you guys posted if that uh works but uh it's one of those things that uh, was just like hey that's just uh kind of uh, an interesting thing my neighbor was saying too in his backyard uh that the raccoons were coming around he noticed the same thing that they're always smelling first before they start digging uh and things so uh very very interesting uh this past weekend uh just another quick little update uh, I put out uh, three uh, videos back to back one on Friday one on Saturday one on Sunday uh they are the equip expo uh, attendee interview videos. Uh, I put them originally was editing them as one video, uh, but it was getting into like a 32 minute long sort of uh, mark, and I thought, you know what, that's just going to be way too long uh, of a video uh, for people's uh, you know sort of watch time retention will just like drop off a cliff, uh, and then um, you know all of the uh, people that uh, you know spent time um, uh, doing the video with me, doing their interviews and stuff like that, you know, whoever I put towards, uh, um, you know, the end on a video that long, um, you know, people aren't gonna, um, aren't gonna see it. Uh, so I thought, you know, what? I'll break it up into, um, three videos because then they're only 10 minutes long, uh, for each video. And, uh, will be uh, a little bit more, uh, easier to consume that way for people. Uh, and, um, you know, uh, decide to do them back to back to back so that people aren't having to wait uh, to see all of them, just do them all together. And then that way I can also, um, link to them. Uh, so that, uh, you know, when you watch the first one at the end, then you've got, uh, uh, you know, the links to the next two parts, uh, you know, um, in each of the videos. So those are available on my, uh, um, YouTube channel for those that are interested, uh, uh, to check them out. they are a lot of fun to do. Thank you to all of those, uh, people that are featured in those videos, uh, that uh, took the time out, uh, to do an on-camera quick uh, interview, uh, and, uh, you know, have, s- have some chat. There's some, uh, some pretty fun moments, uh, in a lot of those, a lot of fun memories, uh, filming, uh, those videos are one of the things that I look forward to uh, each time uh, I have gone, uh, the two times, uh, to, you know, to GIE and then uh, here to my first time going to equip as it was called. And, uh, yeah, it's one of those things that I look, uh, forward to is, uh, interviewing, uh, some of you guys, uh, that are out there, uh, you know, at the show as well. And just asking you, you know, uh, what you've seen at the show that you like and uh, what, you know, keeps drawing you back to the show and all that sort of stuff. So, uh, those were, uh, some fun interviews to do and they're out there and available for you guys to uh, check out. So make sure uh, you guys uh, head on over there, check out and uh, let me know uh, what you think about uh, those uh, particular videos. Uh, So I'm just going to take a quick uh, little break and then uh, we'll get into this week's uh, topic right after this. So stay tuned. In lawn care
0: today, with the right equipment, you can do jobs quickly and correctly. Hi, Jonathan Guinari here. As a product manager at Z Turf Equipment, I'm focused on innovations that help you get jobs done faster without sacrificing the quality your customers expect. From our acclaimed Z Spray Spreader Sprayers to our Z Air 8 line and beyond, you can do more in less time. Visit zturfequipment.com today to learn more about our innovative line of products.
1: CRESS is leading the transition from gas powered lawn equipment for professional use with the industry's first truly game changing innovation in battery powered OPE. The CRESS eight minute cyber system allows CRESS made 60 volt batteries to fully charge in eight minutes or less. Now, professional landscapers can replace their gas powered equipment without sacrificing performance, power, or runtime. And with a full line of equipment benchmarked against gas powered products, landscapers can finally take Take charge of their business and make the switch to battery. For more information or to find a dealer near you, visit Cress.com. Cress, we power the professionals all right and just before uh i get into this week's episode just another quick uh little reminder that i forgot to mention uh you know it's uh november already which means uh my lawn care season is coming to an end in the next uh couple weeks and that means uh winter interview series uh time uh and i will be uh you know uh diving deep into those uh, having episodes uh, each, each week until uh, the start of the next season uh, next year so they'll probably run sometime from December I would guess uh, through till April of uh, 2024 each week uh, we'll have a new guest uh, featured so if you guys uh, want to come on to the podcast uh, this is the time to uh, raise your hand and uh, share your story let me know uh, you can reach out to me long care business uh, success.com go there uh, go to the contact page send me an email if you follow me on Instagram send me a quick DM uh, there as well Uh, check the podcast show notes there'll be links there that you can get to uh and uh do that so uh yeah now's the time to uh, get your names in if you guys want to uh volunteer to be my next victim on the <laughs> lawn care business success winterview interview series all right so uh this week uh tis the season to be thankful So we just got past Halloween and if you're Canadian, obviously we already had our Canadian uh, Thanksgiving uh, just before uh, the Equip Expo. It was actually the week before uh, the Equip Expo Uh, and that actually reminds me for next year for you Canadians planning on going to the Equip Expo Uh, Obviously, you can save uh, 50% off, uh, like everybody. You don't have to be a Canadian to save 50% off using my discount code JULIO at the Equip Expo uh, website. uh, Link in the description or podcast show notes, I should say. Uh, But uh, the Equip Expo next year, uh, if you are Canadian, just a heads up that it is on the week of Thanksgiving. Uh, So that Thanksgiving... um, Monday here in Canada, Uh, the Equip Expo is that actual week. Uh, So uh, for me, that means um, if I'm going to the Equip Expo, uh, I will do like I did this year, where I leave on the Tuesday for my traveling. So I'll have, you know, the the family festivities and, and Thanksgiving weekend here in Canada on the Monday. And then uh, go to Equip Expo uh, on the Tuesday. I was actually hoping to be able to go on the Monday uh, next year uh, so that I could be in Louisville by the for the Tuesday sort of like opening events and stuff. Cause I've never been to those. I usually always travel on the Tuesday and don't get into like midnight. Uh, but it looks like this next year, I won't be able to do that anyways, um, because of Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, so I'll have to travel on the Tuesday, uh, to, uh, be able to get there. But, uh, at any rate, just a heads up, uh, with that. Uh, but, uh, As I said, uh, we already had our Thanksgiving uh, in Canada, but in the U.S., of course, Thanksgiving is coming up uh, November the 23rd. So that's why I say it is the season to be thankful. And it's something uh, that right now you want to sort of take stock of uh, because after Thanksgiving, of course, uh, is Christmas. Uh, So Christmas is around the corner. Uh, I know that uh, after Halloween here... um, on my own property, you know, I put the Halloween decorations away, uh, but as I was doing that and putting those into storage, I was already pulling out Christmas lights uh, to get them uh, ready uh, to do at any time now, uh, any available weekend that comes up now. Uh, I like to get them done early in November, before that frost, before uh, the cold temperature really sets in, because um, the second level on my home is, uh, to get to it, you have to, it's kind of inset. So to get to it, you have to walk on the first level's roof. Uh, So I like to do it, obviously, when the temperature's mild, because I ain't getting on my roof when you know, the frost hits and it's, uh, you know, winter conditions and stuff like that. So, uh, I like, I get them done early, uh, and then so that they're ready to go, uh, by the time, um, you know, December rolls around typically is when I'm turning on uh, my Christmas lights, like the first uh, of December and uh, run them all the month of December, uh, up to new year's. Uh, but that's how I like to do it. But, uh, yeah, so I pull those out. Uh, so, Thinking of that, some of those things that I was thinking of, as you know, that was reminding me as I was pulling Christmas lights out was, well, in my business, um, you know, with Christmas as well, obviously, you have jobs and stuff that you could do, you could do Christmas lights and things like that. But, you know, with Thanksgiving, US Thanksgiving and Christmas and stuff like that, tis the season to be thankful. Now is the time to start planning um, if you are going to do any Christmas gifts for your clients, uh, this is something that I've done, um, almost every single year uh, with my clients. I figure out, you know, some sort of a gift, uh, to give them. And it's not like huge gifts. It's not, it's just, you know, tokens of appreciation. Uh, and the other thing uh, that I like to do all the time is, um, Christmas cards, uh, custom Christmas cards. So when I first started doing uh, this, uh, you know, when I was with that franchise company and stuff like that, I would just do, you know, your regular run of the mail Christmas cards, you go to the, you know, your local store and buy a box of Christmas cards, just generic ones. And, you know, write a thank you and whatever, and, you know, uh, give them a box of chocolates or something to go with it. Uh, whatever the case may be, sometimes uh, it might be like shortbread cookies or something like that just something to uh, you know say, "Hey, thanks uh, for your business. I really appreciate it." Uh, and uh, you know, this is just a sort of a token of appreciation. Uh, a few years ago, um, I started to do something that was uh, very well received, uh, and that was uh, wine. Uh, doing homemade wine. Uh, Although it's not really homemade, it's, um, you know, at like a wine brewing place uh, where, um, you know, I would go in and order wine, basically, and they basically do everything for you other than bottle it. Uh, So then uh, once it's done, it's sort of fermentation process, which can take four to six weeks or so, depending on the type of wine that you're getting, um, you know they call you when it's ready you make an appointment to go and bottle it and then you go there and that's uh you're part of it you have to go in um if you don't have bottles they have bottles there for you to purchase uh if you do have bottles you bring your bottles typically for me each year i would have to obviously buy bottles because i'd be giving the wine away uh and you know obviously wouldn't expect the bottles back although some customers would save bottles and, and give them to me but the majority uh, wouldn't obviously um so you buy bottles here you have machines there that you like uh, sanitize them and rinse them and all that sort of stuff and then they set up uh, a station there for you to uh, with your wine that uh, you can then bottle it uh, with like a pump and stuff like that so you put the bottle in you fill it up to a certain point Uh, stop it, put the next one in, fill it up to a certain point, you get that all done. And then uh, you're able to take the bottles, put them in a cork machine that presses a cork into it. And then you get your fancy little foil wraps and stuff. And you put that on, put it in a little heat shrink thing that like shrinks it. And you do all that process. At the same time, they can make custom labels for your bottles and put whatever you want on it, whether it's your company name and the year or whatever the case may be, or anything you want, they can put whatever on you want. And there's so many different varieties and choices and things of wines. I always liked doing very light wines, very um, like, I was going to say fruit wines, but obviously fruit wines, all the wines are fruit. Uh, but uh, things like, you know, um, peach and apricot and, you know, uh, rosés and things like that, just very light, fun type wines um, that I would do. I wouldn't do like very serious wines and stuff like that, like, uh, you know, like red wines and things like that. I just like doing, although I I traditionally originally started doing those types of things, doing, uh, you know, those types, just like regular red wines and sometimes white wines and things like that. I got turned on to doing you know, uh, like the fruit blends and rice sangrias and things like that. And they became very well received. People really enjoyed those ones because uh, they're very tasty. They're yummy <laughs> wines. Uh, so I would do uh, those types of things and, um, and just, you know, give out a bottle of that. And it showed, um, I think customers appreciated it in, you know, a multitude of, you know, reasons like, for one, it wasn't just like, hey, you went to the store and you bought something. It's like you've put effort into this. You put effort into the thought, into the planning. Uh, You went there and actually physically did something to it, whether, you know, it's kind of like baking your own cookies or something like that, right? Um, You know, you went through that process to do that for that client. So I think they appreciated it uh, a lot more. But I thought, you know, it's one of those ideas for me that was well received. There's only one time, uh, that I can remember in probably at least the 10 years or something that I've given out like bottles of wine, uh, where like one customer refused it and they weren't like rude about it. They just said, Oh, you know, we don't drink. So, uh, for whatever reason. And uh, so that first year, I, you know, noted that, okay, they don't drink. And, you know, the next year, um, I had an alternative for them, right? I had like a box of chocolates or whatever the case for that particular client. Uh so then what I start to do as well is, you know, for new clients, I'd always have something extra just in case in the truck. Because that's the other thing I'll do is I will go and hand deliver these. Um so most clients aren't there during the day. So uh when it comes to this time, um, you know, early December, first second week of December, uh is typically when my wine will be ready so I just ordered it this past weekend um, and that's why you know this episode is kind of timely because it's one of those things depending on the wine you pick um, it can take four to six weeks uh, to be ready so there's something if you're thinking about doing um, you want to get on top of and do like now ASAP order it uh, so that it'll be done in time but even right now if you did like a six week wine it you'd Probably be able to make it in time uh, for Christmas if you're going to get hand them out, maybe the week of you know, leading up to Christmas and stuff. But if you're doing sort of those fruit wines, those like you know, the peach apricots and those types of things, those are usually four week wines, um, so they're a lot quicker uh, to get done. And uh, it's just one of those things, right? You don't have to do wine, you could do other things, but uh, like I said, uh, for me, it's one of those things that I liked uh, and kind of. Um, uh, you know, came across and, uh, did another great idea, um, that I've done over the years is honey. Uh, there's a, a local honey place called the honeybee center, uh, just down uh, the road from me. And they have a lot of, um, locally, you know, made honey in a multitude of different flavors and stuff from, uh, different, uh, types of flowers and different types of, um, um, uh, flavor influences that the pollen that the bees collect from different areas that flavors the wine or sorry flavors the honey and stuff like that so that's another option that i've done in the past like i said uh, cookies and things like that but you want to give yourself time obviously uh to source um whatever it is. Uh, You don't want it to be like a rush at the last minute. Uh, So that's why I say, you know, sort of this November here, beginning of November is when you want to start really uh, thinking about it, planning it. If you're doing whatever you're doing, like for me, I decided on the wine again, uh, ordered it uh, this uh, past weekend. So it'll be ready in that first week of December, then uh, make an appointment to go bottle it. And then I've got a couple weeks uh, to deliver it. And like I said, I like to hand deliver it uh, in the evening when I know my clients are home. I just drive around and, uh, you know, go uh, knock on the door, give them a bottle of wine and also the Christmas card and thank them personally for, uh, you know, um, their business and uh, for, uh, you know, being such loyal clients to me uh, for uh, the past, uh, you know, however many years that they've been uh, with me. And like I said, most clients uh, really do uh, appreciate uh, the gesture uh, of that. Uh, so just one of those things that you want to plan. Now I'm going to give you guys a quick little tip, obviously with the wine, uh, if you're going to do something like that, you want to get on that right away. Uh, depending on what you're doing, um, you know, sourcing out other ideas or other, other you know, types of things that you could, uh, uh, source out for clients. Uh, but Christmas cards now, custom Christmas cards is something that I stumbled upon, um, a few years ago, probably about, uh. I would say probably 2000, 2000 and uh, it wasn't what it was in 2011 or so when I did my first batch, it was was the first year that I left the franchise and went on my own up until the franchise. When I was with the franchise, I just used regular generic Christmas cards that you buy at the store and stuff like that. Uh, Once I started my own, I was totally, as you guys uh, may know, into branding right everything had to be branding had to be the colors had to be uh all that right so i you know when it came down to christmas cards i was like well why not Why buy a regular Christmas card when I can order Christmas cards with my company logo and all that stuff on them and have branded uh, Christmas cards. So that's what I started to do. And I started to research and found that obviously places like Vistaprint are fantastic for that. They have tons of different choices of a multitude of different styles and colors and, and patterns and stuff of Christmas cards. So for me, because my company colors are the black, uh, the green, the white, you know, as I've described in the past, kind of a monster energy drink um, is kind of what I stylized uh, my business colors after when I started the the brand back in 2010. Um, it was kind of going off of, uh, you know, a monster energy drink uh, can uh, in terms of the colors. I just thought the green and the white popped with the black uh, background. Um, ironically now, uh, you know, years later in my area, there's so many companies using those colors. Um, so many other brands, even other lawn care companies now that I have jumped on the bandwagon and copied the, you know, using the, the black background with the white and the green and all that sort of stuff. Um, so just, uh, interesting sort of side note there. Uh, but, um, so for me, I would look at Christmas cards and there'd all be you know you a typical Christmas card it might be you know a snowman or um you know a uh, maybe a red card with like tree ornaments or something on it right but there'd always be because Christmassy and Christmas feel and all stuff there's always some Christmas cards that are black black background with you know Christmas sort of scenes and stuff on it or whatever the case may be um so I'd always look for the black. Christmas cards, because then uh, I could have my logo put on the front of the Christmas card or whatever the case may be uh, with, you know, Merry Christmas from, you know, my company name and stuff on the front. And then that kind of that branding kind of goes right through, right? Because it kind of goes, you know, with that theme of the black background and all that sort of stuff. So that's how I would work it with my own. And they always looked fantastic. Every year I did a different Christmas card, different, you know, picture and stuff, but it was always on a black card, uh, with whatever the different photo or scene or whatever the case may be. And they always turned out great. And, uh, but here's my tip. If you're going to do that, the turnaround time on custom Christmas cards is actually pretty fast. Uh, If you order from Vistaprint, um, as long as you order them, you know, very you know pretty quickly uh my tip is to wait until black friday because uh vistaprint always has fantastic deals on black friday and uh black friday is uh, for this year uh november the 24th uh the day after the u.s halloween of thursday uh, november 23rd uh then black friday is uh, friday november 24th vistaprint will have fantastic deals On sale, sometimes it's like 50% off uh, or whatever the case may be. And typically every year, uh, what I do is I will uh, order my Christmas cards on Black Friday. And you want to kind of check. And what I would do actually, just to as a caveat, I would start looking at the Christmas cards now. Start looking at the designs, all that sort of stuff. Log into your, you know, Vista making make an account. Look at the different Christmas cards. Look at the prices now. See what the thing, and see if you were to order them now, what the turnaround time would be, what their delivery time would be, right? Check that right now, because who knows, maybe they are delayed now it could be different. Uh, and you don't want to, you know, kind of wait till Black Friday and then find out you can't get the Christmas cards on time. So kind of monitor that as we get closer to Black Friday. But if it's going to be pretty similar, jump on it right away on Black Friday. Uh, and then, you know, but keep checking those delivery times to make sure that they'll be able to fill fulfill them. I think they have options to pay more if you get, you know, like a rush delivery or something, if the case may be you know, something went like that. Uh, But what I typically do as I get into the cycle of it each year is I usually order my cards in advance. And what I mean by that is like the Christmas cards that I order this year on Black Friday will be the Christmas cards I use next year. And that's how I kind of do it. So I don't have to worry about you know, the timeline and all that sort of stuff is I just order them on Black Friday because they're way cheaper, get them all custom, all sort of stuff. And I might use a few of them and stuff um, because they typically, I've never had them not come on time. um, But usually that's what I'm doing. And I think what happened was the very first year I ordered them, I ordered them and then you know, I started getting emails from Vista Print on Black Friday saying, hey, like 50% off holiday cards and stuff like that. And I was like, really? Like I just ordered holiday cards, you know, and that's how I got into it. So it was like, okay. So then I went back and it was maybe a few weeks later and I ordered another batch in a different style. And I was like, well, they're 50% off. I'll just use them next year. So I ordered them and then I had them for next year. So then that next year rolled around. I had my Christmas cards already ready to go. And then I got another email saying, hey, 50% off Christmas cards again for like, you know, black Friday sale. So I was like, okay, well I'll just order next year's cards again. And that's how the cycle happened for me where I just like constantly in this perpetual ordering them in a year in advance on black Friday uh, and just doing them that way. Uh, so that's why I say uh, it just dawned on me that, Hey, you should really actually check the delivery dates, make sure that they can fulfill them on time. Uh, and you know, if they can't maybe take advantage of that black Friday sale for next year, order them and then have them. Or, um in most cases like i say they they do deliver them but it's um it can cut it close sometimes it might be the week of or whatever the case depends on how busy it is right black friday it's 50% off so that's a lot of people going to be ordering on that time so if you're in a rush and stuff like that if you're trying to get them as cheap as possible uh you know that sort of thing then you know and you don't want to pay say a rush delivery or whatever the case may be then you know if you can delay them, order them in advance for the year next year, or whatever the case may be, then that's uh, sort of just a quick little tip for you guys. Uh, but yeah, uh, Vistaprint, fantastic for uh, ordering custom cards, for, you know, putting your logos and all that sort of stuff, just giving it that really nice sort of touch. I could literally write my message in the cards, have them printed, um, you know, with, you know, my personalized message to my clients on the inside. So the outside it would say something like, you know, Merry Christmas from my company name or Happy Holidays from my Christmas, you know, uh, company name, whatever the case may be. I'd always change it up every year. Um, just to have them, you know, different. And then in the inside, I would have, you know, a personal message to my clients, that's printed on the cards. So then all I would have to do is actually uh, write, uh, you know, take a pen when I get them, and then write to the customer's name, and then sign it. You know, very simple, didn't have to work because my personalized message is already uh, written in there, uh, or printed in there on each of the cards and made it simple, but, uh, yeah, tis the season to be thankful. So this is the time now, uh, as we're, you know, getting uh, through the month of November, um, that you want to start thinking about this acting on things um, for certain timelines like wine and stuff like that if you want to do like um, bottled wine and things like that and have your own sort of private reserve private batch of wine that you're going to give out uh, to clients that you do that now have you know order get that right because that's going to take uh, four to six weeks to get done christmas cards start researching that looking into that uh and uh getting all that sort of uh sorted out and figured out uh and if you're not doing wine or anything like that then just kind of researching giving yourself time to research something um you know I always find that unique is you know stands out a little bit better than just going to like you know your regular store and stuff like that and just buying generic stuff off the shelf and things um you know if that's all you can do then that's fantastic then just do that do whatever you can do but the whole point of it is all just sort of um you know just showing your appreciation showing your thing right obviously it's a lot easier to go to a liquor store and just buy wine and stuff like that but i don't think it has the same um sort of uh it's not the same sort of gesture uh as that right it's it just is nicer to i think just have some thoughts have some effort put into the gift uh and uh, do it that way and i think it goes a long way uh, that way especially you know uh when you're clients are very personal and stuff like that. Uh, they're friends, um, you know, or they've become friends, right? Uh, you have those, those relationships with those people, um, that it just goes a long way when it's something that's just, you know, more thought, more effort was put into than just, um, you know, something off the shelf or something like that. Uh, so, uh, you know, things like that, you know, just quaint little things. If you've got, um, you know, a hometown, um, you know, like for me, obviously, if you have a hometown, everybody's got a hometown. But what I mean is like, um, you know, something unique to where you live is always a hit as well, right? Uh, that's something like that, that you can give something personalized, something like for me, whether it's the wine or, like the honey example that I gave you, right? It's a local honey place. Everybody knows that, that honey place is there. Uh, and they have, you know, exotic type honeys that are made from, uh, you know, not your like standard grocery store, regular flavored honey, they might have um, honey that's flavored, uh, you know, clover honey, or, um, you know, Whatever like I can't even think of the flavors now, but there's just so wildberry honey, raspberry honey, like all this like honeys that are made from bees that are collecting pollen from those types of plants. And it's amazing that um, you know you'll get honey. That tastes like that particular thing because of the pollen that uh, was collected uh, from those uh, plants. Uh, So it's it's pretty neat. And the multitude of flavors and stuff of different honeys that are produced from bees uh, that are um, producing honey from local areas that have those uh, crops and stuff around. So it's kind of neat when you, uh, you know, see stuff like that. So stuff like that, little artisan type things um, are always cute, always ways to uh, kind of, um, you know, bring the community uh, sort of aspect um, around and supporting local businesses and stuff like that as well um, is always uh, fantastic if you can do that. That's why one of the reasons I like doing the wine is that it's a local business, right? It's a local business. Person that's running that business and you're um you know blessing them uh with your orders of wine Uh, typically in a batch you're getting like 30 bottles uh, of wine per batch so you know you if you're ordering a couple batches three batches whatever the case may be you know that's a big chunk for them um that you're blessing them, their business with, uh, and their local business in the community. Same with, you know, going somewhere in, you know, local uh, little artisans or whatever, things like that to, to get your gifts, just something to think of uh, in that aspect because it's sort of that community feel that, um, you know, that aspect, everybody enjoys that. Everybody enjoys, uh, when it's kind of local and that sort of, uh, uh, sort of that thought, um, and effort that goes into that. Uh, so yeah, I just wanted to, uh, kind of bring that up because, uh, this is the time to start thinking about that stuff. I know you got a million things going on. you got, you know, the end of your lawn care season, you got, um, you know, maybe you're wrapping up, uh, aerations and things like that. Maybe you're full into leaf cleanups and all that stuff as well. And in the back of your brain, you got snow removal services, uh, that you're thinking about and, and all that sort of stuff. So this is just one more thing that I'm I'm throwing in there for you to think about, uh, for you to, uh, you know, uh, worry about and all that sort of stuff. But uh, trust me, the effort is uh, worth it to invest uh, in that, um, you know, that gratitude uh, for your clients, uh, to let them know uh, that you appreciate their business. And of course, you know, it's another uh, tax write-off, uh, which is always good as well, uh, for you. And, uh, yeah, just, uh, one of those things that you want to be, uh, proactive and thinking about now. So, uh, that's it for this one, guys. Here's to wishing you guys all overwhelming success and freedom in your lawn care business. Bye for now.